Hello and welcome to Watermark's Church Leadership Podcast, a conversation with church leaders for church leaders. I'm your host, Adam Tarno, joined as always by my co-host, John McGee. John, why don't you let the audience know what we have in store today? Hey, Adam. So today we have with us our Director of Equipping and Apologetics, Nathan Wagnon, who is also uh, working on his doctorate in uh, discipleship and formation. So this may be one of the most intellectual podcasts yeah. uh, we've ever had. He's almost an authority, though. Not <laughs> quite yet. Not quite. So. When do we start calling you doctor, <laughs> yeah. Nathan? Never. Um, Never. Hopefully by the end of the summer. Okay. All right. but, we'll, but we'll see. Yeah. Congrats, man. And yeah, so what, pe- people are listening in and they, they think, uh, you know, someone with a doctorate in discipleship and equipment, I think they probably have a, a mental image. Yeah. But that's not really not dude, at all. This like if we don't, we don't. But if we had a powerlifting team, yep, this would be our. <laughs> he's captain. the captain. <laughs> he's the captain and the coach <laughs> and the number he's, one performer. Yeah, the team, yeah. the yeah. team. He is not what you would stereotypically uh, associate with a, a doctorate in discipleship. But uh, glad you're here, brother. Thanks, man. I, I was in a meeting one time and was wearing a Batman T-shirt. And uh, when because that's that's what academics do. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> that's but what anyway, doctors do. I'm in this meeting with these guys uh, from Col- from Colorado, and they were looking at me kind of strange because I was wearing a Batman T-shirt, and they were like, "Who are you?" And I was like, "Oh, I, I do the apologetics ministry around here." And they kind of you know caught themselves, and they're like, "There's something very right about the apologetics guy wearing a Batman yes, T-shirt." So, absolutely. Yeah. Break the mold a little bit. Some of our listeners may know Nathan from another podcast that we have here yes. at Watermark, so we'll plug that real quick. Why don't you let the audience know about that one? Yeah, we do the equipping podcast. We, It's our answer to kind of the, hey, how are we equipping people who are a little further down the road? Um, and so we tackle issues around discipleship, theology, apologetics, and take a little bit of a deeper dive than uh, we normally do around here. So they can find you iTunes, iTunes, app. yeah, yeah, and on our website. There we so go. Check it out. So this is, I mean, this is, we were talking about, this is like uh, Seinfeld and Friends episodes coming together. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And like two different TV shows coming together for yes. one show. So yeah. that's what we've got today. So are you Ross or Seinfeld? Uh, well, the analogy breaks down pretty quick, but <laughs> John, tell the audience what topic we're going to talk about and, uh, and let's jump in. Yeah. So today we're talking about just kind of discipleship and really not, uh, not so much a program, uh, but I think a journey. Is that, would that be mm-hmm. fair? Uh, yeah, Nathan, yeah. uh, thinking about, you know, our spiritual formation, our spiritual life as a journey. And so, you know, for me, Nathan, I remember it's probably been two, three years ago, we went and uh, we went to Boston market. I, I don't know why I, I like to go there because no one yeah. else is there. Right. Rotisserie uh, chicken, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, chicken and veggies. No, no, uh, no weight, no crowd. Um, and so I remember just sitting down with Nathan and just trying to ex- get out of my head some of the things that were going on um, just spiritually for me. And I, I backed it all the way up. I became a believer here. This is what worked. And then, you know, as I matured, this is what worked. And here's where I am now. And what used to work doesn't work, you know, and and just kind of was going in the whole time, you know, Nathan's just eating. And, he, and it was as if he said, like, are, are you done? And um, and so when I when I uh, when I came out for air, you know, Nathan, Nathan shared this framework that he's going to share here today. Yeah. And I found it off the charts helpful. It was kind of like at that point, like everything made sense mm-hmm. uh, in my own spiritual journey. And I could think through uh, people that I've walked with in ministry, people that I love and where kind of they were and where maybe they're stuck and what the next uh, stage um, would look like. So it was incredibly helpful. I mean, it's, it's marked me, uh, whatever, that three years since I ordered some of the resources you talked about that day. So I'm really excited for you to share that's great. Uh, with uh, with these leaders that are listening in. Yeah. And it really comes down to how do people grow? I mean, that's the question I yep. think that as leaders we're asking, especially this being a church leadership podcast. That's the reason we got into church leadership. That's what really fires us up about church leadership is you get to watch people grow. And if you've been in uh, in 
discipleship or in the leadership for a while, you start to question, okay, how does this happen? You try to mm-hmm. recognize some patterns and, and things like that. And that's what we're going to get into. But let's start with this, Nathan. So there are some views out there, some common views of the way people or some frameworks that people think about when it comes to how people grow. So what are some of those common views of discipleship and growth that are out there that maybe maybe have uh, some truth to them, but also have some flaws to them as yep. well. Yeah, I think what's interesting to me is, as I have these conversations consistently with people around the country, is I think if you put 10 different people into the room and ask them one at a time, what is discipleship? I think you'd probably get some some similarities. Um, some of them would probably be fairly close to one another, but all of them would be also fairly different, and which is kind of fascinating to me because if what we're doing... I mean, Jesus calls the church to go make disciples, right? And right. It's, it's like, well, what is that? Yeah. And we're like, well, we don't really know, but we're doing it, you know? And I think that there's some confusion around that. And so I think the number one thing I see from people is that um, because we're systems people and a lot of us are either answering to an elder board or to a deacon board or to a ministry council, support council or whatever, they're going, hey, how are you growing our church? Yeah. And uh, a lot of times people are like, well, because so I'm thinking that we've got to get our members from point A to point B. So how do we do that? And the most common answer is we got to have a program. Yeah. And so discipleship is a lot of times equated with go do this discipleship program, which is why, and I'm not trying to ruffle any feathers, but that's why a lot of churches will hire a discipleship pastor. And his job most of the time is to push people through education programs. Yeah. And so you have this idea of, have you been discipled? And, and a lot of people are thinking, have I done this discipleship curriculum or met with this group over here? And, uh, and I think that we're, we're definitely not uh, anti-programs. We, I mean, daggum, we have a ton of programs here, right? Yeah. Um, what, what I think we're against is... We, we're against a programmatic solution or a programmatic definition of discipleship. Yep. It's far too narrow. That's good. I think, uh, I think another one that I think we see a lot is just uh, activism. I mean, there's a lot of, hey, what are you doing? And, and I think a lot of that's birthed out of this misconception. It's really just bad theology that where someone would say, hey, I got saved when I was a kid and, and, I, and I was a convert. So I was like, I became a Christian. But then when I was like 22 or 23, I really got serious about following Jesus. And that's when I became a disciple. So there's this like tier of commitment level and, and a distinction between a convert who's just kind of prayed the prayer and got dunked in some water and they're good. And then someone who actually is actively following Jesus. And so discipleship then becomes, well, what are you doing? How much of it are you doing? How successful are you doing it? Those are the kinds of questions that people will ask around discipleship, which again, there's nothing, we're not against doing things. Right. Um, we're against defining that as all of discipleship. And, and so those are probably the most common things that I see that are very, um, they're reductionistic and, and they can be, if left unchecked, they can be really dangerous because people, um, have a, it, it forces people to have a very narrow view of the kingdom of God and a narrow, narrow view of salvation. That's, that tends to be transactional. Yeah. And, and in so doing people, a lot of times can unknowingly um, be quenching the spirit's work in their life. All right. So if programs and activism are some common models that are out there, but maybe are not the best model, what, mm-hmm. what word or which, how, how would you describe a better way to think about it? 
Yeah, well, I think I think the biblical picture we see is a, a journey. Yeah, um, it's a. Uh, I mean, clearly, when first when when the uh, when the apostle John writes his first epistle, he he addresses little children, young men, old men. Um, there are different people in different stages of their journey. I mean, you um, you can even apply this broadly to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. You know, there's it's like the nation is birthed out of the patriarchs, then it moves through this Sinai desert uh, stage and then into the land and then they go, they're disciplined and they go into exile and they're back. And I mean, the whole story of God with his people is a journey. And I think that our individual lives as followers of Jesus is really just an, an archetype of what's going on with all of humanity um, in in general. And so there's a seeing it as a uh, the way I like to think about it in in regard to a journey is just uh, comparing it to the normal natural development of of uh, just a. a human stages of development, infancy, childhood, adolescence, young adult, uh, middle age, and then, and then going into the twilight years, um, of our lives. And, and I think that that's the biblical model that we need to, uh, look at. Yeah. So there's a couple of resources that I know we're going to, you're going to talk about here in a second, but that has given you a framework in the way that, that you think about this and and help other church leaders Mm -hmm. think about this. There's some stages, so it is a journey, but to help clarify some of it, like you just mentioned, some of those life stages, we've come up with some stages for all these. And I think there's a total of six stages. Is that right? Yep. Something Six stages with an interlude. Yeah, with yep. an interlude in the middle. And so... Um, and we're going to, we'll make a little uh, PDF available as well. Absolutely. So, this, yeah. so you can listen in and you don't have to feverishly take notes. We'll yeah. make a cheat sheet uh, for yep. you. Yeah. So, yeah. so we can look for that in the show notes, but um, so why don't we go ahead and just, just talk about these stages. You yep. want to do that? Yep. And yep. so, uh, so what, let, let's describe the first stage in the discipleship discipleship journey. What's it called? Yeah, I think I think before we launch into that, I just want to be careful to to let the audience know that this is not something that I came up with, yeah. right? Um, this was taught to me. Um, the the first people to really like do the hard work of of uh, really researching this and putting it into into language that's easier to understand is uh, Janet Hagberg and Robert Gulick. They wrote a book called A Critical Journey. It's in its second edition. Um, that subtitle is Stages in the Life of Faith. And then Bruce Demarest, who is a, a professor of mine, um, kind of took their stuff. Robert Gulick actually died. And so Bruce started working with Janet, and he produced a book called Seasons of the Soul, which is a similar work. And then out of that, um, he's the one who uh, taught this to me. So uh, 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 I, d- I want to make sure the audience isn't yeah, like, man, absolutely. that guy's brilliant, because I'm just repeating what <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you don't, you don't even did. have your doctor. You're just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So you're such a wannabe. I know. So so stage one, what is it? Yeah, yeah. Stage one is the converted life. And uh, the converted life is just characterized by pure excitement. I mean, you're, we all know people like this, right? I mean, they're, they, the Holy Spirit is doing something really unique in them. He's birthing them. And they're just like an infant. Like you're seeing everything for the first time. It's like the lights have been turned on. Yeah. And you're like, this is awesome. You know, when I was a kid, I wanted to charge hell with a water pistol, you know. Uh, and you just feel there's a feeling of kind of invincibility. Um, and, and yet in that stage, there's very much a sense of you begin to realize that you were just born. Yeah. And so there can be uh, an, an insecurity about what you don't know. Um, but also coupled with that feeling that you've kind of arrived. It's kind of both at the same time. Yeah. John, you've ever run into people in stage one? <laughs> <laughs> that's what you call a loaded question. Yeah. No, but that, that is, uh, that's a fun season. It, yeah, it really you is. know, totally it's is. just, 
you know, yeah, it's it's all new, and you read the scriptures, and it mm. just pops, and yep. it's three D, and you want to uh, obey it, and you want to do mm. every uh, th- that second, you want to do what it says you should do, and it's really really fun. And so I think I heard you say you get stuck there when. You know, if you feel like, golly, I mean, I know me and I know what I'm supposed to be and there's a disconnect and, and you know, that can be a little bit unsettling. So what 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 should I do if I'm in stage one, Nathan? And then what? how should a leader, mm-hmm. um, you know, pastor and shepherd someone in stage one? Yeah. Yeah. If you're in stage one, I think that, and really this is both the same answer. If you're in stage one, you have to get incorporated into a local body. Mm. It's like, it's like somebody saying, Hey, this baby was just born, and um, we're just going to leave it alone. That's great analogy. I mean, it's like, what? Wait, no. The, this is when the baby is the most n- needy. Yeah, most vulnerable. Yeah, the most vulnerable. And so, incor- g- building something that incorporates building kind of a to use a trellis and vine imagery, building a trellis that will support that vine as it grows is is critical for the for the leader of the church to look at. Like, hey, what are we doing? to provide on ramps for brand new believers to get connected to our body. That's a great I think question. That's the primary yeah, yeah. question. So what do you what do you do? Yeah, do you have these on ramps? Is it easily accessible mm-hmm. right. for a new believer? Do they feel like uh, they can't come to your Sunday school classes or your equipping classes because they don't know everything, right? right? Is it can they show up with the cellophane still on their Bible and feel accepted? Yeah. Uh, yep. do you have those? And that's a great question to ask. Totally. Now, the other thing and you and I were talking about this a little bit before is um, you also just don't want to like pour cold water mm-mm, all over mm-mm, these guys. Yeah, because a lot of times you'll hear uh, people in this stage will, because they are so excited and because they are typically on a more of an emotional type uh, adrenaline rush, they'll feel like that they've already arrived. Yeah, it's like, they, it's like they were born five minutes ago and now they're totally mature, you know? Yeah. And sometimes that can be fairly annoying, you know, because as a, it's like you're talking to a kid who, is, I mean, all of us have, or have had small children where they're looking at you and your three-year-old is trying to lecture you, yeah. you know, and you as the dad are going, okay, you have no idea. And the last thing that you want to do in this stage is to squish that. I mean, the Holy Spirit is doing what's what uh, John John of the Cross called it a ministry of consolation. Is that um, he's doing something very unique in the disciples' life, and is uh, and that's a critical thing that you do not want to get in the way of. It's good, and so you have to encourage them without um, squishing them, and and that that, that can be difficult. Can be, so, yeah, yeah, it can be, and uh, and so yeah, it's like this tension where somebody in stage one, they all need to be locked in a room <laughs> and, and not allowed to talk yeah, to anybody, yeah, but yeah. they are so excited yeah. that yeah. they need to Padded be out on rooms. the front lines, yeah, yeah but rooms. they need to be out on the front lines of ministry, telling their friends mm-hmm. about this new life that they found in Christ. So the converted life stage one, uh, do you have easy on ramps for them? That's a great question to ask, and don't don't uh, quench that. Don't squash that. People have to go through that stage, so it's just good. good I think if I that. could add one more thing, I think as a church leader, this uh, in my experience, which is anecdotal, but it's my experience, is I think a lot of churches um, don't think about these stages, and so they just assume that the programs they have in place good. will cater to this type of person. And I think you, as a church leader, what I would encourage you is to think very critically about um, is this easy for a new believer to come into? Great question. So, yeah. Good. All right. Stage two is the learning life. Let's yeah, that's right. So, um, so you've got a new convert, new believer, and then they begin to realize, you know, they, they, they're, 
at first they're reading the scriptures and they're like, this is amazing. And then they get to numbers and Leviticus. <laughs> and then they start reading the minor prophets or any of the prophets and they're totally lost. It's like, what in the way it, it very much is like a, like a, uh, an American for the very first time going to Hong Kong or something like that. And you're walking into a totally different world. You don't understand the, the culture. You don't understand the, the various social norms. You don't understand any of it. And you're like, I'm totally lost. Yeah. And so people in the learning life, because they feel that pressure, they are sponges, man. They just want to learn. And so my, my advice to a church leader is you've got to teach them. You got to have uh, a, you have to have a structure whereby you are teaching the basics of uh, biblical studies. You're teaching a, the story of scripture. Mm-hmm. You're helping them understand kind of the, the broad meta narrative of what's going on in scripture. And, and then you're building kind of an, an, think of it like elementary school. You're building a foundation or basic building blocks of biblical literacy that can be built on really for the rest of their lives. And that's, I think that's what characterizes this stage. This is such a fun stage when you have people that are in this like hyper learning, they're just a sponge. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, they are a sponge. And it's a real opportunity for a leader, either themselves one-on-one. Uh, oftentimes, I think you can generally multiply yourself. You can mm-hmm. grab uh, several several folks who are in this and it's the people that are emailing you with questions or they're they're coming up to you after, you know, a meeting going, I've got some questions and, you know, and, and they've got lots of them and they got pages. And yep. so uh, you can really serve that person well by yep. connecting with them or grabbing, like, who, who else do you know that has the same questions, right. getting those guys together, or putting together kind of systems. And we have some of those uh, here. We, you know, we've got some of our, I don't know what you would call them, but I'd call them like discipleship programs. Yep. And people uh, then can learn, you know, both how to study and memorize. Yeah, read pray. the Bible, learn how to pray, learn yeah. how to share your faith, learn how to memorize scripture. Yeah. yeah, yeah, which is, again, this is stage two, so we're not we're not done yet. And I, I'm, my hunch is you're going to say, um, you know, one of the dangers is that we stop here and we define the yep. Christian life as just these, uh, this learning and these activities around that. So you want to... Yeah, insufficient discipleship models try to programatize the spiritual life. Yeah. Um, but the problem is, is the Holy Spirit's the one who's driving this and it's a very personalized process. Uh, while while we're giving you categories of what this generally looks like, it's in actuality it's not nearly this clean. Yeah. You know. So and and the problem is is you can't program you can't programize or systematize the Holy Spirit. Like good luck with that. You know. And so while these things are helpful, while the programs are helpful, they're supplemental, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think the biggest p- problem or hang up that I see in this stage is a, a somebody in the learning life will experience a season of accelerated growth because they're learning the story of scripture. They're learning about the patriarchs. They're learning about um, the exodus. They're learning about the wanderings and the conquest and the kingdoms. And, and it's all coming together for them, right? And they might experience some accelerated growth. And then what's going to happen is they are going to say, this program that taught me all of this is discipleship. That's it. And then they, and then they'll look at other programs or other expressions of discipleship and they'll look at it and go, you guys are doing it wrong. So you get very much like an us versus them mentality in this stage that can be really dangerous. It it can actually, 
you know, act as a ceiling that if people don't move beyond it, then you're just not going to mature. So with somebody in this stage, uh, as a leader, if you're discipling them and spending time with them, do you let them know they're in a stage or, or do you just, yeah. let, you know, somebody, because it, yeah, somebody asked me that one time, they're like, do you tell everybody this, you know? And, and I'm like, I, I don't think you give them the whole tamale, you know, right. all at once, just like you don't teach your kid, you know, when your kid's in fifth grade, you don't teach them, you know, statistics or something like that. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, I do, uh, but whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or or hieroglyphic Luvian yeah. or, you know, something like that. I wish I so, did what he just said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally sounded made up. Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. I, I, uh, walking over here, getting ready for this. I remembered I'm in college. Uh, I'm in, in Europe on a mission trip. I'm on a train with a, you know, a group of us. And there was a older, so wise, so godly, um, this man that was just investing in us. And he said, Hey, John, what are you thinking about kind of, you know, after college and things like that? And I'd been really marked by, uh, kind of the navigators Mm -hmm. two, seven series, you know, memorizing scripture and your verse packs and the wheel and sharing your faith. And Mm -hmm. it was made, it was off the charts helpful. And I told him, I said, I just want to help guys do this. Mm -hmm. You know, I want them to memorize scripture. And I just talked, and and he looked at me, he was very, very gracious, very kind. He said, John, you know, there's, there's more to discipleship than just memorizing verses and, uh, and these cute little charts. He didn't call them cute, but he said these charts, you understand that like you're on the front end of that. Mm -hmm. And he didn't, he didn't. He wasn't demeaning. He, yep. he didn't, um, he wasn't putting me in my place. He was just helping me graciously understand, yep. hey, I was on the front end of a journey. And those words marked me. It took me, you know, I, I thought a lot about it all summer. And it really helped me kind of think about the next seasons of ministry. And I think had, you know, I not had any intervention there, I would have just walked around just kind of, you know, whacking people with Bible verses yeah. and telling people that the, the key to the Christian life, which is memorizing more verses and understanding more diagrams, which are helpful, but not not uh, not the end. Uh, in- yeah, your people that make that mistake are taking a means of grace that God has given to us, and they're making the means the end. Yeah, and that's a yeah, that's a terrible mistake. Uh, just one other thing while we're here. So for leaders, um, you know what Nathan said was a lot of times people will have um, their life change or experience life change in one of these programs, and they kind of become an evangelist for the program, yeah, yeah, you know, as opposed to. to it, yeah. And so you can in real time in those moments uh, as. Uh, as a leader, Todd does it. Uh, we do it like in re-engage, for example, people come, will stand up and they'll say re-engage changed my life. Mm-hmm. And you know what they mean is Jesus changed my life right. here in this program. But we're, we're very, very intentional about stopping them and just, you know, uh, not in a condescending way. Say, I, I know what you meant because uh, what you meant was Christ changed your life. Mm-hmm. And as you experienced him and became obedient to him, that changed your life in, mm-hmm. in just a real, you know, kind way. But we don't want that out there even as a thought mm-hmm. uh, that the secret to life is any notebooks that we would create yep. or fill in the blank uh, programs we'd have. Yep. And as a leader, th- that's your responsibility uh, to make sure people are crystal clear uh, on where life change uh, comes from and, and how it happens. I think one of the telltale signs that somebody's gone wrong here is, um, and I, I think it's a great question that church leaders should ask, we should ask it of ourselves consistently, is, um, is the thing, is the program that I'm, that I'm working to build for the kingdom, um, is it becoming bigger than Jesus? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. a, because if it is, then then you've made this mistake. Yeah. 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 And, and programs are helpful. Like, like yeah, you yeah, said it, yeah. and like we, we, we use them and we leverage them. We just try at every corner, every turn to go, this, this is something yep. that's useful to help you become more like yep. Christ. They're, they're, they're great. Right. I've heard it said one time, they're great servants 
They're horrible masters. There you go. There you go. All right. So the converted life stage one, learning life stage two, stage three. Nathan is called the productive life. Why don't you talk about? Yeah. That? So this is when, as a church leader, you're you're you have somebody who's kind of on fire. Now you've taught them and equipped them, and now it's time to deploy them. Yeah. This is where this is where people. This is a stage where people begin to realize that, man, God has unique uniquely gifted me. He's given me a skill set. He's made me the type of person who would succeed in this type of ministry environment. And they start to stretch their legs and realize that they can run, mm-hmm. which is absolutely critical. I mean, just a, a few months ago, I took the training wheels off of my boy's bike, you know, and it, it probably took him, a, well, a day or two, but he was like super excited mm-hmm. and he's equipped. And I mean, as soon as he realized that he could ride really fast on that thing, I mean, good luck trying to catch that kid. He's, yeah. I mean, he is bam, down the street. And this, it's similar to the productive life is, is you, you're not only stretching your legs and realizing that you're gifted and, and can run, but you also begin to experience kind of the, the joy and the emotional jolt it is mm-hmm. to realize that God is using you in his kingdom program. Mm-hmm. And that can be, that can be really, it feels really amazing. You, you begin to uh, the the your purpose begins to be uh, more clear to you. You begin to realize that oh, I, it feels like I was created for something like yeah. this, and and uh, all of the fleeting things that you maybe used to feel like you could you know put your identity in feel really small. And these kinds of activities that you're engaged in um, have a depth to them that just makes you want want more. But similar to stage two, some of the pride can start to creep oh, up a yeah, little bit in this yeah. too, where you start to realize or start to maybe think like, this is my responsibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm the one doing this. So talk about that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, this is the, sometimes I call the productive life like your teenage years, you know, <laughs> it's the, it's the, uh, you, you really, you get your driver's license, you know, you're, you're, uh, so you're running out with your friends. You're so smart. You've got, you've got some freedom and you're using it and you're, you're, you're getting some autonomy there kind of from your parents. But uh, but then also, it, there's a lot of foolishness that comes from being a teenager. Your boy just came into your job. I'm looking at John now, said something pretty funny this week. Why don't you share that story? Uh, he's reading. Oh, so yeah, my my son, uh, <laughs> he said, Dad, I want a business book to read. And he, um, he, uh, he, I gave him uh, Jim Collins, Good to Great, which we talked about on a podcast before. And so uh, he came in, he came in the car the other day and he said, Dad, you're looking at a future level five. Uh, so the level five is this leader who's yeah, really yeah, humble. Yeah. Well, you know, um, by definition, buddy, you you you're, can't be a level. You've five got a long way to go. Yeah. That, but uh, but yes, it is we are good. learning to drive. And yeah, uh, and so yeah. when you say this, these teenage years, we get it. I mean, I think we get it. There's so much good yeah. that yeah. is going on, yeah. and so much productivity. And but they're also really dangerous. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And but I, you're leading, you're leading Bible studies at this stage, mm-hmm. and you just feel that like the joy of being used, mm-hmm. having a front row seat of mm-hmm. ministry and life change. And it, uh, you know, it, it is, uh, you're in the game mm-hmm. and you're not a spectator anymore. You're being used in some capacity and it, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. So, so John, for you, when you, if you can think back to when you were in this stage, uh, you know, what were some helpful conversations to keep that perspective to go, Hey, this isn't you, right. You know, but, but, you are, uh, you do have these good works that were prepared for you mm-hmm. to do in advance and you're walking in those now, but don't, don't think this is you. Yeah. Well, I think that's just the, the value of feedback yeah. and the value of, um, if you, as a leader, you know, affirming gifts, like, you know, so Nathan, I can remember you before I, you've been at this church. How, how long? 
uh, over a decade. Yeah. So when you, when you first came, I can remember walking into a class that you were teaching and you were so animated. Like, you know, it was like, (laughs) I I don't, I, I don't even have a category like a motivational speaker meets, you know, WWE, uh, meets seminary, you know? And I was like, wow. Um, so super clear. This guy had a gift and and God was using him. And I remember, I remember giving you some feedback and he said, well, you know, you're not, it turns out you're not the only one uh, telling me that, yeah, you know, yeah. and, uh, and, but, but you lean into it. I remember you would, um, you know, you, if you said something that was wrong, you would recant, you wouldn't double down uh, on that. You were receptive uh, to feedback. And uh, so I think you deploy people like, absolutely. Nathan had, it was 10 years ago. He's incredibly useful now, 10 years ago, he's useful. So you deploy them and, uh, and you just walk with them and you don't, you don't need to smack them down and put them in their place, but you do need to help them see where, uh, where their pride might be touching this, or, uh, they have some, you know, some besetting sin that's going to hinder their ministry. Yeah. I, I think that where what's happening in this stage and the reason it trips a lot of people up is because, um, the Holy spirit is, is beginning to remove that ministry of consolation that you needed when you were a child. And, uh, he's beginning to shift you away from that to show you that this is not about you. Hmm. So if you, it, when you're a child, you can kind of think of it a couple different ways. It, you know, if if a, if my infant girl right now could speak, then she would either uh, think, oh, my mommy feeds me, my daddy picks me up, my, you know, they give me everything I want, I must be God, yeah. you know? Or she could think, you know, my mommy feeds me, my daddy picks me up and loves me. They must be God. So there's a there's a different kind of uh, perspective that's happening, and I think most of the time in the productive life, what's happening is the Holy Spirit is showing us substantively a lot of times for the first time that we're not God, yeah. and He's stripping that He's stripping those things away to expose our ego. And what you find there is so these are hallmarks of the productive life. People who measure ministry or, or measure success by ministry activism, by productivity, by the size of their budget, by how much of a building campaign that they've run, by number of converts, by you know how big their uh, ministry impact is. Those are all hallmark signs of the productive life because people that that's what they're chasing. Yeah, and the highest end of the spiritual life is I've just got to get over there. Yeah. And so uh, the Lord is faithful to reveal yeah, uh, yeah. that this is not the way it is, yeah, which right. leads to now this interlude. So Dude, if you've gone through the converted life, the learning life, the productive life, and now you hit this this interlude here, yeah. and it's called the wall. Yeah, so why don't yeah. you why don't you talk about that? For yeah, well, me? I think so. John of the Cross, you know, back in the Middle Ages, um, has this classic. Probably a lot of our listeners have read it. If you haven't, I would encourage you to. It's short, um, but it packs a punch. Um, called the Dark Night of the Soul. And the, the, his book starts off by saying um, that the Holy Spirit is very intentionally moving people into a period of disillusionment and questioning and kind of stripping away um, everything that seems to be so certain in our lives in order to expose the ego and then begin to like kill it on a pretty deep level. And that's a painful thing. Yeah. So crisis, trauma, um, things uh, that 
you maybe have been consequences that have been brought about by choices you've made or by choices that other people have made and you're affected by or by sickness or the death of a loved one or a period of transition, any of those things where the ground feels really shaky um, is, is, is the wall. And I, I think that unfortunately, because people are so deeply formed in those first couple of stages mm-hmm. to think that again, the highest end of the spiritual life is productivity for the kingdom, which is like, hey, that's ministry, right? right. Um, then what people do is they hit that wall and they think it can't be like this. That I must have gone wrong somewhere. Mm-hmm. And so their answer to that is to revert back to stage two and be like, I must have missed something in class. You know, yeah. I, I, I must have missed that part of the lecture that I'm now being tested on. And so I got to go back and learn it so that I can be more productive. And then they hit the wall again. And they, it's that cycle of, oh, I must have missed something. I got to go back so that I can be more productive. And unfortunately, I think for, you know, a lot of, um, for a lot of us, maybe it's just because we haven't had somebody mentor or shepherd us through this. A lot of us um, don't progress past the wall. Yeah. Because, we'll just give up. Yeah. Just go, must be yeah. broken. I've tried yeah. it a hundred times. Yep. I've tried everything. Don't prescribe me another verse or another retreat to go on. Yep. I'm done. I'm just done. And so I'm going to go sell and Or people them. will, or, and this, I think this is common too with church leaders. Probably a lot of people listening right now may uh, identify with this where they think, well, this just must be it. Yeah. And so they don't quit, but they begin to cope in unhealthy ways through um, trying to chase that next ministry success. And it typically goes in one of two ways, either legalism, where I'm, a, I'm, I'm doubling down on the memorizing scripture mm-hmm. and the, follow the I've, formula. I, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to follow the formula even deeper ways. Or in the other side is licentiousness, which is like, I'm just going to get mine, man. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm tired of this. And so you'll see guys burn out and, and uh, because what's happening is they're beginning to realize that the majority of the activity that I am doing for God, I'm doing it in my own strength. So the number one question people ask when they've hit the wall the interlude, yeah. is this interlude is how do I get out? Yeah, right. And, and you have a really, I think it's a point and this is, I, I want to make sure leaders are listening to this. So if you've tuned out, come back for a second. What is the one thing that you need to do when you've hit the wall? Well, you got to sit. Yeah. yeah. You have to be still. Yeah. I mean, like the spiritual life is not about activity primarily. Activity flows out of the spiritual life. And so if, if we're so busy doing things for the kingdom that we miss God, then what the heck are we doing? Yeah. You know, so you've got to sit because just like I would say in, in stage one, you don't want to squish the excitement in the interlude. You also don't want to push people out of the pain too quickly. Mm-hmm. Because they're because the Holy Spirit is doing something really formative, and and I, I think that He's also um, you know it's pushing people into stage four because He's He's pushing them to the point where they're like, hey, you're not God, I am, and also you're really wounded in a lot of different ways, and that makes you uncomfortable because you stand up in front of people in the pulpit and you preach. And you, and you rightly divide the word of truth, you know, and you lead all these groups, but you're really broken inside and you're insecure. And the way you measure success is really broken. And, and Jesus, he loves us right where we are, 
but he loves us enough not to leave us there. So good. So, you know, if you're thinking about this, um, those first three steps, it, it kind of feels like <clears throat> in retrospect, when you look back, like God's given you special air cover, mm. like everything, wor- your life works. Yep. Uh, you feel close to God. Mm. Uh, you you seem useful. And so God, God's got you. And, um, and in the middle of this, it's going to feel like the hand kind of comes yep. off the special blessing, the, uh, the air cover. And, and you tend to think, oh man, I've done something wrong. Yep. I messed up the formula. Yep. And it actually, I mean, I think, I think, um, you know, John the cross would say like, no, the God, God actually put you there mm-hmm. that this wasn't consequential. It could be, is there could be a, a poor choice to put you there. Yep. Um, but this is like, this is part of God's plan. You're marching down uh, this path that God has laid out for you and he's not abandoned you, but it's going to feel materially different uh, than it has previously. And it's very, very unsettling. And so this wall can be in fact a wall that you bounce back off and go back Mm -hmm. uh, to two and try to, you know, um, reconfigure the formula and and take some advanced math or it it can become a door that you, that you walk through Mm -hmm. something. It's, it's a land, uh, not everyone goes to, uh, not everyone is comfortable in, uh, but that I think is a stage four. And so that's the inward life. Um, brother, you want to talk about that? Yeah. So the inward life is characterized by this deliberate journey inward. You, the common questions you're going to hear in this stage are where did God go? (laughs) I mean, you're going to hear things like, what is the spiritual life? Who am I? There's a reformation. Um, a lot of the woundedness that's always been there, but a lot of the woundedness and the false images of God um, are being healed. And, you know, it's, it's a very disorienting stage. I mean, anytime, any, think of anything in your life where you thought, man, I am 100% certain that it's this. And then someday you realize it's not that. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, wait a second. I was so sure that that's what this was. And that's what's going on in the inward life. And so it's a deliberately journey and it's a deliberate journey inward. And you need a mature friend. You need somebody who's going to walk with you through this so you don't feel like you're going crazy. Yeah, because the downside, I would imagine, is just this self-wallowing narcissism. Totally. That you just... You're a navel gazer. Yeah. 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 And that's, and that, that's the danger of this stage is uh, you can get lost in the introspection when really the Holy Spirit, the answer to the productive life, the, the kind of hyperactivity of the productive life is not to do nothing. You know, it's not like you, it's not like you're like, man, okay, I'm going to go live as a hermit for the rest of my life. That's not what we're saying. What we are saying is, is the Holy Spirit is going, hey, that hyperactivity is actually a sign and uh, a a symptom of a deficiency in your soul. Hmm. And so I'm going to heal you. I'm going to take you deeper. I'm going to strip away your ego so that now, instead of um, the hyperactivity to do things for God, something shifts. And you move from, I'm going to do this ministry for the kingdom of God. It shifts from that to, I just want to be with God. Mm. Like God, instead of, instead of the highest end of the spiritual life being things that you can do for him, the high, you're shooting too low, right? The highest end of the spiritual life is not activity. It's God himself. Yeah. And when that happens, it's not that you become less productive. In fact, I, I firmly believe that, that you become less busy, but what you are doing is being born out of a life that is lived in intimacy with Christ. And so what you actually do, even though it's less busy and kind of frantic, um, what you're doing is, is a lot more powerful than the hyperactivity that you were doing in the productive life. 
And so when, when people are like, man, you're so, you're, you're just not in a hurry. You're not busy. You're not, it, you know, and, and I think that it's, it's like, yeah, I'm not. And also look at what God's doing. Yeah. He's doing it. And so ministry becomes less about you. In fact, it becomes nothing about you. It becomes less about what you're achieving. It becomes all about, all right, Lord, I want to be with you and what you're doing. You're saving the world. You're, you're the one who's producing what he's producing. And so just like we see people all throughout scripture, all right, Lord, if you want to go this way, I'm with you. Yep. And that may result in all kinds of things that the world and frankly, the broader church might look at and be like, that's so successful. Okay, great. But he may also take you down a road where you, you have nothing and that also can be successful. That's good. That's good. Yeah. So I think, you know, uh, ministry in stage three is, is, uh, there's a lot of dust and a lot of noise, yeah. right. You know, and, and a, a lot, lot of, of ego. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so then the other side, it, it's just effective, uh, mm-hmm. but it's not, uh, there's, there's not as much noise. It's mm-hmm. not about you, but you do, you don't have to lose your leadership edge. Yeah. Um, and you can still have incredibly, uh, effective ministry. It's just mm-hmm. not fundamentally about you. Yep. I think these are your words, you know, uh, Nate, like you're introducing them to the beauty of Christ. What becomes important? Yep to you is that people, this is really key. What becomes important to you is not whether people think you're amazing, but whether they, they are just in awe of God and want to yep. order their lives around that. And yep. that, like, that is materially different. And that feels people will experience you very, very mm-hmm. different as a leader. Um, and it's a real gift to give people. Yep. And so you just want to make sure that you're, you're moving towards that and that you are not mistakenly putting a, a false sense of spirituality on your people that they just need to be busy. Yeah, uh, They need to be first in love with God mm-hmm. and they can, they can be actually really busy. Busy, yep. but they can be effective and uh, and not rushed, not hurried. Being ministered to um, from someone who's in stage four is materially different than uh, stage three. So yep. really, really good. Great. So you fight through this interlude. You you stay in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you realize this wall is a door. Mm-hmm. You go through this season of the inward life, but you don't stay there. And I love what stage five is, just that it's not just the navel gazer. Mm-hmm. It's not just this self-wallowing for the rest of your life. You yep. don't become a hermit. Stage five, there is an outward life. Mm-hmm. So describe that one. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's the ministry is done for the sake of Christ. There we go. He, it, the, the results are in his hands, not, not ours. And so you, uh, the, the weight that a lot of people feel to try to be successful in the eyes of other people is just gone. Yeah. Cause really that's just another manifestation of your ego. So <clears throat> it's the ego is consistently dying and the Lord may introduce a, another opportunity for you to hit a wall and deeper development there to show you that you're not God. Um, and then the, and then you're, instead of, again, instead of doing things for him, you're participating with him. Mm. And if you're going to follow Jesus, then just be ready to be on mission because that's where Jesus is going. So, but following him versus like you feeling like you're, you need to manipulate something in order to get God to do something the way you think it should be done, which is characteristic of the productive life are two very different things. And the weight, the emotional and psychological weight that you carry in stage three is, you know, vastly different than the, uh, the rest that you experience in the fifth stage in the outward life. It's almost like, it's almost like Jesus was not joking when he said, come to me and you'll find rest for your mm. souls. These are people who have found rest for their souls. So it may be just as productive, but it, it's materially different in the attitude. It's more, it's more productive. It's less frantic. There you go. That's it. So that's the sign of that you're progressing through. There's this outward life. And then let's just quickly wrap up with this stage six. Yeah. And I'll, I'll say this about, Sometimes people ask me, well, hey, how do you know that you've arrived? You know, because people want to know, like, you know, when, when, 
how do I become the most mature that I can be? Right. right. Which is an interesting question. Um, but a lot of people will measure it by, well, I've got multiple degrees or I've done all these programs or, you know, curricula. And, and I think that we measure things wrongly. So I, I think that the, the primary metric to measure a life of discipleship by um, is not how active you are, how much you know. It's always the love of God. Yeah. So our, Jesus said that um, all of the law and the prophets hang on mm-hmm. two commands. One is to the first one and foremost. He actually characterized it. It's first and primary is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the second is like it, love your neighbor, which flows out of the love of God. And so people who are mature in Christ are saturated in the love of God. Hmm. They're people that when you're around them, you're like, that guy is not saying a lot, but when he opens his mouth, everybody listens to him. There's a weight that he carries with him that seems like it's otherworldly because it is. Hmm. He's learned to get, he's learned so much to get out of the way that he's walking in step with the spirit and the spirit is, uh, he's an open conduit for the spirit to do ministry through him to other people. And there's real humility there because he realizes he's not the one who's doing it. Paul says at the end of Colossians one, he's like, I labor, I, I strive really hard to present everybody mature in Christ. And the, and the power that I labor in is God's power. There you go. Like I'm not doing it. Right. And, and I think that Paul deeply understood this. Yeah, it is. It's this life of love. And so that's, mm. there's a, there's a motivation that's different. The franticness is gone. Uh, it's, um, it's, it's what, it's exactly what you just said. It's what yeah. we're striving for yeah. and uh, hopefully be able to achieve. Yeah. Love it. Hey, Nathan, thanks so much for being here. We'll make that PDF available, uh, list some of those resources that we talked about. And you also did a four-part um, interview. Uh, yeah, the, Bruce. so Bruce yeah. Demarest, Dr. Demarest, who taught this to me, I interviewed him over uh, four episodes on the Equipping Podcast. So I'd encourage people to check that out. Yeah, we'll well. provide some links to that in the show notes as well. So uh, John, any final thoughts? Yeah, just as a leader, I think you need to be thinking about those under your leadership. um, Can they progress through all six of these? Or, you know, do they have a shot at it? Or or I would say this, most churches are pretty good at stage one, stage two. Some are good at stage three. Very few churches uh, provide kind of an environment where people can continue uh, to progress past mm-hmm. the wall. And it's a real gift. Uh, it's a little bit messy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't mass produce it. Yep. Um, but that's where the real fun and maturity happens. And so you need to you need to be moving there yourself and then uh, finding ways to bring others with you. Yeah, and what I, the last word I would say is uh, I, discipleship is less about people working hard to move forward because you can't. Like that's the whole point. Yeah is we're going to um, we're going to try to conjure up the ability to push ourselves forward. Discipleship is not about that. Discipleship is not about working harder, it's about surrender. And when you finally realize that you're not doing it and you surrender and give up, then the Holy Spirit's going to take it's you an there. awesome thing. That's great. Well, Nathan, thanks so much for being here. If you have any questions or comments on today's episode or topics you'd like for us to consider for future episodes, feel free to contact us via email. We can be reached at clp at watermark.org. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you again next time.